Foundry Church, welcome to Easter Sunday morning worship. We are so glad to have you here today. Never in the history of the world has one word changed the lives of so many. Risen. Risen. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen. And when we look at that fact and we hold on to that truth, we know that Jesus Christ has conquered death and hell. And he's called us into new life with him. Welcome today, even as we gather in your living room, welcome today to the Foundry Church as we celebrate the risen Jesus Christ. As a call to worship and a moment just to reflect, I know that for many of us this quarantine, this shutdown is a painful thing. But I think it's, I think it's something to celebrate in ways too. As a pastor, so much of my thought and my energy is how do we take the church and move it from the box on Sunday into the homes Monday through Saturday? How do we get the church out of the big gathering mindset and into the idea that it's something you are, it's something you have in your home? It was always intended to be in the home. And today, all over the world, billions are gathering to worship Jesus Christ in their homes. The gospel has come home, and I'm so excited for what God's doing in your life, what God's doing in the church corporately, and in in small little gatherings right there in your own family. Thank you for joining us today. And hear these words from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It's a wonderful reminder of things from our perspective may seem really bad, but from God's, maybe it's different. This verse from Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. May that be true of us in this time, that more and more people are being not only exposed to the gospel, but invited into a fellowship with Jesus Christ in a personal relationship with him, expressed in a devotional life and a walking with the Lord, but also in the corporate body of the church to celebrate and move forward the mission of the church. What Satan has intended for harm, I believe God is gonna redeem for good. I have a couple of announcements before we dive in. First thing is this. If you are new with us, and maybe this is your first time you know, being part of the Foundry Church and we've invaded your living room, thanks for letting us in. But if you've, if you've never been here with us corporately before, what I would love for you to do is let us know who you are. You can do that by emailing info at foundrychurch.net because normally we would send out um, our Foundry Loop with a connection card and then we send just a quick note and a small gift to say thank you for worshiping with us but you're not here, you're there. So we need you to let us know who you are because we just love knowing who's worshiping with us and um, how we can connect. So please reach out to us, info at foundrychurch.net and we promise we're gonna send some love back to you. Now, we also have been greeting each other online and you can totally keep doing that, but our staff is, is just so anxious to see you again. They miss being gathered with the church like you do and they wanted to say happy Easter. Easter, so they sent some pictures in. So as you say good morning to each other, check out these pictures as we greet each other on this Easter morning. So do me a favor, next week when we do greeting, we would like to have some pictures of you maybe doing that, saying, you know, like, good morning Foundry Church or however. So take a picture of your family greeting the church 
send it over to us, info at foundrychurch.net, and we will use it over the next few weeks as we are greeting each other. We'll have pictures of you, our church family, posted up um, during that time so that you can greet each other and remember what each other looks like because we're kind of isolated right now. Um, You know, one of the things I love about the Foundry is that we always have really good coffee and really good baked goods. There's so many, there's an army of volunteers that cook and bake for the Foundry Church. And I hope that you were able to grab something from the kitchen before you came to the couch in your Christmas or new Easter PJs and and sit down to join us. One of the things um, we did this week is for you kids, if you've never done this, I really would love to see you do it and let us know how it goes. Uh, They're called resurrection rolls. You need a can of Pillsbury Crescent dough, the big jet puffed marshmallows, which I choked on all the time as a little boy, uh, some butter and some cinnamon and sugar and things like that. And the recipe's actually on our Facebook page. We as a family, the Folkers family, make these every year. And I'm pretty sure they're eating them right now, and my mouth just started watering. Oh, they're so delicious. And, um, and so we make them every year. It's a family tradition, and they're really, really cool. They have an Easter effect. I'll just leave it at that. But go ahead, make those this week, even if you didn't. But if you need some, some more coffee or something like that, like we say in church every week, if you need to get up and grab coffee, we're not going to cry foul, especially now because we can't see you. Um, Take a moment with me. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to jump in to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, on this Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate the resurrection, risen. The risen Lord Jesus Christ has called us his own and brought us back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, for what you're doing in the church globally, locally, for the glory of your name only. We take and give now to you what it has been, always will be yours and yours only. It's the praise and worship of the church gathered under the banner of your name, your blood, your redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May you receive the praise we give in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to, you can stand and sing. So on Monday, Thursday, we as a church gathered and we talked about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We actually talked more about um, ourselves being on trial. We used the, um, the metaphor of, of us, let's just say for me, of, of me being on trial and, and all my sins laid out by the accuser who is Satan and I was found guilty on all charges as I am and suddenly after the, the verdict is rendered of death, we found ourselves listening to the judge say these words. The penalty for your crimes is death, and the debt will be paid in full by the bench. And the judge stood up, he took off his robes and his wig, walked down from the bench, and was handcuffed and led away. Led away to suffer the wrath for our sins. What a perfect, perfect picture of what Jesus did. The high king of heaven, the very first word of creation, came down and bore for you and I the sin and shame we earned, the sin and shame we deserved. He stepped between the wrath of God and us and received in full our punishment. He received it completely. And now we find ourselves on Easter morning 
See, on Monday, Thursday, he was betrayed. He had the Last Supper. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was put on trial. On Friday, the trial concluded. On Good Friday, he was sentenced to crucifixion. He was flogged. He was hung on the cross, and he died our death on that day. He was put into the tomb, into Joseph's tomb. And I want you to join me today in John chapter 20 for just a minute. In John chapter 20, we find Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. She was coming to the, to the tomb to anoint with spices the body of her Lord Jesus Christ. When she got there, she found the tomb was empty. And she ran back to the disciples and she told them, the Lord is gone. Peter and John run with her and they get to the tomb before her and they find the tomb is empty. Peter and John then go back to the others. Mary is sitting there in the tomb, standing in the tomb and she's weeping. She's, she's grieving because they've taken her Lord. She looks up, and friends, don't miss this imagery. There is two angels in the tomb, one at the head and one at the foot of the place where Jesus was laid. And they're sitting there. It's such an image of the Ark of the Covenant, the fulfillment of everything, okay? This is huge. And they say, woman, why are you crying? She, she tells him, they've taken my Lord. She turns around and there's Jesus. She doesn't recognize him and she thinks he's the gardener and he says, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord. They've taken his body. If you know where it is, please tell me. And he says this to her. It's one of the greatest moments in all of scripture. He just says to her, Mary, Mary. And her eyes are open and she realizes it's her Lord. And he's calling her name and he's resurrected, risen, risen. It's this beautiful picture where we can look and go, oh my goodness, that courtroom where he gave himself up as an innocent for our sins was not the final word. His death wasn't the end. And we hold on to that today. We're leaving the courtroom for the garden and we're gonna leave the garden for a new life because Easter is the proof and the power behind this new day, behind this new life. He took our punishment and then he went and took the keys to death and hell. And he became the firstborn of all creation when he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering shame, and conquering death. We're gonna move through some different scriptures today. When I say the Gospel of John, that's in the New Testament. And I would invite you to read at some point in this day or this week, John chapter 20. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of Easter morning. And we're gonna look at some different scriptures and as we do what we want, what I'm hoping you'll see is there is a rhythm to the old you. There is a rhythm to the old me that I can't bear to look at anymore. And I'm sure you like me feel the same when you look at your old self and you see the rhythm of your, own, of your old life. And the rhythm goes like this. Sin, shame, and repeat. Sin, shame, and repeat. Sin, shame, and repeat. Over and over and over. We are slaves to sin. I said it on Thursday. You heard it in your devotions. It's the truth that holds this, um, that holds, I guess, our Reformed theology, but our biblical theology really intact. Total depravity. Sin is not something you do. It's who you are. Apart from Christ, your nature is completely sinful, 
And we are inclined to sin because it's our nature. It's who we are. We fall into temptation and we sin. We're tempted and then we sin. Then we feel shame. And in shame we have one of two responses. We go and hide or we get we get this sense of worthlessness. We're reminded how broken we are and how much of a failure we are, and we become even more vulnerable. And then our responses kick in. Our nature counters that feeling. It counters that shame with a sense of lowliness or pride. And we either exalt ourselves and say, look, I'm fine. I don't need, I could quit anytime I want to. This sin doesn't own me. I own it. And we convince ourselves through pride that it's no big deal until we find ourselves stumbling and falling once again back into that sin, that shame, that worthlessness, that pride, that sin, that shame, that worthlessness. Maybe you fall into lowliness, into this depression state where you're just like, I'll never be good enough. I'll never do it okay. I'll never be good. And you just fall back into sin again. Sin, shame, repeat the cycle. Sin, shame, repeat. It leads to death. It's never been different. In the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, in Genesis chapter three, we see the fall, the thing that happens when sin enters the world through mankind, through Adam and Eve. They're tempted, and they do what they should not, and they sin against God. And then what do they do? They're ashamed. Like literally, they had been in the garden and they had been naked and they were not ashamed. But when they sinned, they realized they were unclothed. Have you ever had that horrifying dream where you go to school and you're not dressed and like you're trying to hide? I raise your hand at home, you're like, preach all day, man, I've had that dream. That is a horrible dream. That is the kind of shame they felt. All of a sudden, they're like, whoa, super need some pants. And they go and they sew together fig leaves. And they make themselves close to cover their shame. But it doesn't cover their shame because their shame comes from a deeper place. It makes us hide. Shame makes us hide. But it can also make us proud. When God says to Adam, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Did you sin? What does Adam say? He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I did. I'm sorry. He says, the woman you gave to me tempted me and I ate. You see the pride It's her fault, man, not mine. Their son, Cain, they had two sons. Uh, Adam and Eve did, Cain and Abel. Cain murdered his brother. And when he was confronted by God, he rose up. He's like, what am I, my brother's keeper? This pride emerges in him. Sin, shame, and we lash out or we hunker down and hide. And then we repeat the cycle. We see it over and over again. But here's the reality. Here's Easter. You've been set free. Hold on to this really tight, church. You've been set free. You no longer have to live in that hopeless cycle of sin, shame, and repeat. You've been set free from sins. You've been set free from the control of sin because you now take on a new nature. Here's the, um, the amazing thing about Jesus Christ. He offers his nature to you, his perfect, sinless, redeeming nature. He gives it to you. You're invited to have a new nature and not be a slave to sin. You actually get to be bound to Christ, full of purpose and joy. But we know the fact that many of us struggle with sinful patterns. 
and you think, Eric, I can't conquer this. I don't know about you, but um, I got picked on a little, maybe a lot, when I was younger, and then when I was older, I did. You know, we all gave each other a hard time. But um, having moved a number of times, it was hard to go to a new lunchroom and be the outsider and uh, to get picked on by some people. You know, you're trying to find your place on the social ladder and as, you know, as far away from the bottom rung as possible. And you get picked on and you dread going to the lunchroom because there's some bullies in there who are going to mistreat you, who are going to be rough on you. I want you to picture sin being the bullies that have just had your number day after day. They take whatever you have, they mock you, they call you names, push you down, remind you of who you were, claim things over your present life that you are but you're not. You just feel ashamed all the time. I want you to now picture walking into that lunchroom with the biggest and baddest, toughest person in the school who when the bullies look at him say you know I'm gonna leave him alone you're invited to walk into the lunchroom of your life with Jesus at your side the one who has not only conquered sin death and hell but he's invited you to take on his nature walk into the lunchroom with him you're not subservient to those sins they do have a hold over you it's hard to break the psychological hold of a bully in your life but you walk this life with the conquering king of heaven and earth and it tells me this that christianity is not something we do it's who we are you don't do church You don't do Christianity, you are the church. You are a Christian. Your nature is changed. And your sins, yes, they are back there, but they're forgiven in Jesus Christ. Do they have a hold? In many ways they do. But you submit them and make them be taken captive to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the conquering king. He walks into the lunchroom where all your temptations and all your past demons try to remind you of who you were and who you are, and he shuts them up. We are given the reality of being set free. The apostle Paul wrote to the book, uh, to the church in Rome. In the book of Romans chapter six, it talks about this regarding our slavery or how sin owns us. For we know This is Romans chapter six. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, might be gotten rid of. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I'm asked as a pastor quite often things about baptism and different things, and people say, what's the big deal with baptism? Baptism is a visible sign and seal of the covenant, but here's what baptism does. Whether you are marked, sprinkled, or immersed, baptism is being put into the death of Christ. We are taking on to our own mortal lives. We are dying to ourselves. We are taking on the death of Christ so that we can be raised up into new life in Christ. We no longer live in the power of our old life. We live in the supernatural power of the Lord Jesus Christ, which allows us to live life in the unforced rhythms of grace, the unforced rhythms of grace. Have you ever been on like a first date or something and the conversation was forced, right? Like it's horrible, it's like, so 
what do you do for fun? Oh, salad. And you just eat because it's so awkward. Like, I'm looking, I only got like three of us here. Yeah, we've been there. It's horrifying. First dates, we try hard, but they're awkward. And the conversation is forced. Have you ever been around a couple who can't shut up? They just talk constantly with each other. I'll be honest, Erica and I talk constantly. Our children get tired of being told like, hey, mom and I are talking, can you guys go out? And they're like, it isn't even serious. I'm like, serious enough that you get out, you know? Like we, we talk all the time, we go and we walk, we talk about life. And it's an unforced conversation. The silence is unforced. There's a natural comfort in that. The unforced rhythms of grace mean this, where sin is a tireless hamster wheel, that you live on this thing and you're running as fast as you can, but you're getting nowhere. Living in grace is freedom. It's freedom to move and accomplish and have purpose. When you, enter, when you encounter temptation from a sin that used to reel over, rule over you, you can claim the lordship of Jesus Christ and live in the freedom of the grace of God extended to you. That you don't have to return to that old addiction. Powerful as it may be, it doesn't own you. It doesn't own you. Because that which is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. You can submit it to the lordship of Jesus. And I've heard people say it sounds too easy, but I will tell you this. My friends who battle addiction live in the rhythm of submitting their, in, their constant desires to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They submit them. They have accountability because they know they're weak. But for us, maybe you don't struggle with addiction or maybe you think you don't. But here's the thing, when you're tempted, you don't have to tell that lie. You don't have to lie to whoever you're gonna lie to. You don't have to gossip, badmouth, and destroy the character of someone behind their back. You don't have to go back to those images and those things that break relationship. You don't have to fall back into whatever pit of sin has tried to define you. You don't have to go back. You can submit it to the lordship, lordship of Jesus Christ. You can invite Jesus Christ to enter into your circumstance in the moment. Come Holy Spirit, fill me and give me an escape route. He will provide you an escape route and I will tell you this, most often the escape route is not nearly as easy or as entertaining as the path of sin, but it's far more gratifying in the end. It takes discipline and trust in the character of God, but you can invite him to ask you, ask you to show you, what do you have planned, God? Is there something in this moment that the devil's trying to distract me from? What is your plan, God? Remember the lunchroom. You've been bullied too long, and now you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ at your side. He'll show you the escape route for your temptation. The question is, do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want off that tireless hamster wheel of sin, shame, and repeat to live in the unforced rhythm of grace? I think we need to ask ourselves something, church. If Satan wants you distracted by that old, deadly, time-wasting rhythm of sin, shame, and repeat, 
It's because he wants to keep you from the purposeful, powerful new life you have that God has planned for you in Christ Jesus. He's trying to get you away from something. There's something worth more than that temptation, and he's using every shiny object to get your attention, and you're going to miss out on the opportunities in front of you. If you give in to that temptation, get on that hamster wheel. Know this, Satan is trying to distract you from the purposes God has for you. Living in grace means this. It means rest. Oh, man. How many of us need a rest from the temptations? How many of us need to just know that we're loved, that we matter, We don't have to strive. We don't have to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can simply receive it. You know, living in grace means not only do you stop striving and trying to earn your salvation, you start living in it. You start owning it. You start um, effortlessly walking with it. And when temptation comes, you, you have the clear understanding of grace and temptation and the outcome of sin, the wages of sin is death, and the outcome of a life of grace forgiven by Jesus Christ is purposeful, it's meaningful. If we give in to sin, we miss out in that moment for what God's purpose is for us. Living in grace means that God understands you I mean, just take that for a minute, that God understands how jacked up I am and you are. I mean, isn't that nice? He knows your insecurities. He knows your pitfalls. He knows all your sinful tendencies, your hatefulness, and all the things you hide so well from the world. He knows them, yet he loves you. It means that when we are living in grace, we are known, fully known. He knows you need his help. Psalm 103, verse 14 says this. It's one of my favorite scriptures. God is mindful that we are just the dust. He knows how limited we are. And we want to be seen as these ascendant, unlimited, amazing people. But that's not possible because we are limited. The love of God, the love of God means that you are not confined to your own limitations. You are set free in the purposes of God. Living in grace means you're not confined to the normal, boring, day-in, day-out patterns of life, but you can run freely into the adventure that God has for you, no matter the season or the place. Everything has potential. I saw this the other day, I think it's so good, because you know people are struggling with quarantine, lockdown, and things like that. It's like, oh, I feel like a prisoner. You know, I mean, we hear this, and you see it on Facebook and different things. I feel like a prisoner. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament in prison. Don't tell me God can't use isolation for his purposes. We lean into the Gospels. We lean into the epistle letters. We lean into the book of Revelation written in prison. Don't tell me your circumstances aren't able to be transformed and used by God. The the life of grace tells me this, that when we live in grace, we are set free from the normal, from the boring and the everyday humdrum, and we are turned loose and able to run freely in an adventurous life filled with purpose among the mundane. Among the mundane, God is still at work. He's still redeeming. So let me invite you 
He knows you. He knows that you're just dust. Yet, he will fill you with his Holy Spirit and turn you loose to live the life you were made to live. He made you. He knows your best life. And he wants you to live into it. So, don't lock yourself back up. Don't lock yourself back up. Soon, we hope, this shutdown is going to end. This shutdown is going to end. Right? Cross your fingers. You want it over? Soon it's going to end. But here's the reality. A life locked up would look like this. If a Christian didn't live in grace, it would look like this. Let's say it's June 14th. It's my birthday. It's also flag day. Um, But it's June 14th. The, the quarantines are lifted. There's no more virus problems going on. Everything's good, okay? And you go to the neighborhood picnic, and you notice your neighbor isn't there, but their car's in the driveway, and you look, and they're waving from the window. And you're like, what are you doing? So you go over to the window, and you're like, hey, come out. And they're like, I'm eating my picnic from inside. And you're like, dude, come out. And they're like, no, I can't. Quarantine. You'd be like, it lifted. No, I can't. I'm staying in. I, I don't... You know, I, I can't be there. No, I'm sorry, I can't come to, I can't join you at the restaurant. Quarantine. You would literally scream, what are you doing? It's finished. Why are you living in lockdown when you've been set free? That, my friends, needs to be dealt with. Why do we, who are given so great a gift of salvation and grace by the victory of this Easter morning, live under the burden of our old sin? Why do we, who have been set free, lock ourselves back under the burden of old sins? Why do we slip back into those patterns, telling ourselves that we have to obey every impulse? Every impulse. Well, that sounds good, right? How many impulses have you had to eat that box of Cheetos, right? I mean, or the box of Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its are kind of my thing right now. But like Cheez-Its, the extra toasty ones. And you're like, yeah, Justin's like, preach. Um, but that, you look at it, you're like, oh, I'm gonna have that. I'm gonna have that bag of Doritos. You know what? I want a stick of pepperoni. And you just go get it and you obey those impulses. We have other impulses, sinful impulses, that are dangerous and must be dealt with under the blood of Christ, under the lordship of Christ. We tell ourselves we have to obey each impulse. We have to handle everything ourselves. We have to please people. No, you don't. You get to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Why do we go back to prison when Jesus Christ took our punishment and set us free? Don't lock yourself back up. Live. Live, church. Live in the grace given you by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with one story. It's one of my very favorite stories out of Scripture, out of the Gospel of John, chapter 11. So the fourth book in to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's this story. There's a man named Lazarus, and he had died four days before. And he was in a tomb, and he was locked up, like not locked up, he was dead in the tomb. The stone was over it. And Jesus came... And he called out into that inky blackness, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus awoke and walked out wearing his grave clothes. He walked out wearing his grave clothes. And he never went back to that tomb. 
He didn't go back looking for Jesus to do the same thing over again. He didn't go back to the tomb and go into it and be like, oh, I wonder what's going on in here. Maybe I should spend some time in the old patterns. No, he didn't do that. He lived fully and freely. He was away from the tomb. The wages of sin is death. Don't go back. When you have such a purposeful life, don't let Satan trick you out of the purpose and the glory of living for the Lord Jesus Christ by giving in to every impulse. Lazarus left the tomb behind him and lived a life faithfully following Jesus, living the life that Jesus gave him. And the same thing goes to you and I. Will we faithfully live the life that Jesus gave to us? Or are we gonna go back to the tombs that he set us free from? Church, hear me today. The victory of Easter is not just some 2,000-year-old myth we hold on to. The victory of Easter is right here, right now, and it has lordship over your sins, over your brokenness, and I invite you, if you've never known Jesus Christ, I want you to wrestle with it. If you've never known him as your Lord and Savior, I want you to ask the question, is today my Easter? Is today the day that Jesus calls me out of the tomb? Is today my opportunity in my living room to hold up my hands and just say, I give it to you. We are going to have a gospel invitation and you're going, hopefully many of you are gonna receive Jesus Christ at the altar near your couch. It doesn't take a special building to live a life of grace in Christ. It takes one person surrendering the death of sin to receive the new life of Christ. Friends, I invite you, stay out of the tomb and live. Live, live, live for him who died on your behalf. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing, and the life we're called to live. We love you, Lord, and we ask that if there's anyone out there in their homes right now who is praying about receiving you. I pray that your spirit would quicken them to you, that you would call them home to you, and they would experience in some measure the grace, the peace, and the hope that is theirs in Christ Jesus. In his name, we pray all these things. Amen. All right, Justin, lead us. There's somebody, there's some people out there watching today who don't know Jesus. And so let's just cut to the chase. We're gonna take a moment and I'm gonna invite you to know him. I'm gonna invite you to pray the sinner's prayer with me if you've never done that. And to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and for you to repent and turn away from them. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and then begin living a life out of the tomb. A life fully alive in Jesus Christ. A life that was meant for you by the one who formed you first in your mother's womb. So if you're, um, if you're at home right now and you feel like the Holy Spirit's just tugging on your heart and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm gonna just invite you just to join me in a posture of maybe like this. And just imagine your life kinda on a platter all the sin, all the brokenness, all the good deeds, the bad deeds, we're just gonna hand it to Jesus today. Now I'm gonna pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray it with me if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ, if you'd like him to become your Lord and Savior. The day will come when we all get to gather together with you and celebrate this. But for right now, 
We'll let heaven celebrate what's going on in your living room. If you'd like to become a Christian, just repeat after me as I pray. Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for all that I've done wrong. I give it to you. And I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. I confess that you are my only hope, my only hope of salvation and new life. Send your Holy Spirit to fill me. I give my life to you, knowing that you gave your life for me. Today I proclaim that I am a Christian. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to encourage you. You can email us info at foundrychurch.net and we will reach right back out to you and help you as you start your faith journey. One of the best ways we can get you going is in our new series called Wait. And today, you as a church have the opportunity to drive to the new building right here at the new Foundry Church on Chicago Drive and pick up your weight books. We have more than enough to give to you for your children. You can have them, just come through and get them. We're sanitizing and making sure it's done very well. You can watch the video at the end of this on how we're gonna hand them out. But we want to get these in your hands so that you have devotions for the next nine weeks. How amazing is our God that he put on the hearts and minds of the content director, myself, and working through the creative team to find his word for us in this season was wait wait. And we have a book for nine weeks for you to study, to work through, to pray through, and to learn to wait upon the Lord. So friends, um, between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m., you can come get those books right here at the Foundry Church today. We'll be six feet away, but we can like virtually hug that way or high five or however you think is safest. We'll just stay six feet apart. Thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday. And I invite you to receive the blessing of God as we go from this place, well, back to the place where you already are. Friends, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to our new friends and family in the faith, welcome. To those who've been part of the church maybe for your whole life, Welcome to the most unique Easter you've ever had. And I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ blesses you richly as you learn to wait upon him. Happy Easter, friends. Grace and peace as you go. We are so excited to start our new series with you called Wait. We want to get these books to you in the safest way possible. So here's the plan. This Easter, between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m., we're asking you to come to the